Geek Nerdery. Player one, press start to play. Welcome to episode number 43 of Graveyard Duck Podcast. With you, as always, my name is Scott. And I'm Wes. Hey, Merry Christmas, Wes. Merry Christmas to you. Happy Festivus, happy Happy Life Day, whatever. Merry, Merry Xmas. I just watched my Futurama Christmas episodes. So. Oh, yeah. I haven't watched those for a few years. Yeah, I was figure this is probably the closest thing we're going to get to a Christmas episode. We're delayed a week. Um, we were going to record last week, just didn't get around to it. Yeah. Originally, that was going to give us one more that we could have done for Christmas, but oh well. Yeah, being being adults and having other commitments and responsibilities kind of delays the show at times. So, uh, yeah, you know, it is what it is. But I'm glad that we can at least come back and keep doing a show. So right. uh, last year, I think we did days before Christmas. Yes, uh, try to be a little bit. You know, we were we were trying to be a little bit more in the holiday spirit. But uh, this year, I think because. We've been doing the the Nest series now for the last few episodes, and um, we just kind of decided to keep going with that and uh, finish it off with 93, 94, 95, and kind of call it, you know, an end to this series. Uh, So that's kind of why we didn't really do a holiday episode, but, you know, we might do something kind of, I mean, in the future, you never know, as far as something like that, so. Yeah, we wanted to wrap up the the chronology uh, road we were on, and it would have been, you know, very easy to just kind of skip it and say, ah, oh, let's move on to something Christmassy, but yeah. odds are we wouldn't have come back to this, and we, we wanted yeah. to wrap it up the way it deserves. We've seen so. it through, you know, this far, you know, so right. might as well finish it off, at least. I mean, this is, we're kind of cutting it off at 95, saying, you know, sort of the original run of the NES, uh, you know, not really including a lot of the uh, the more indie and homebrew cart releases that have come out in the last few years, mostly because I haven't played them. Right. Uh, but that might be a good series down the road too. You never. Yeah, know. it could it could be fun to to dig into those. I've I've never played any either, so it yeah. could be interesting. Um, I got to do a whole episode just on you know repros and uh, kind of indie carts coming out mm-hmm. much later after a series is dead. But um, yeah, yeah, and we're also taking a I guess minor shortcut by combining ninety three, ninety four, and ninety five all into one. But yeah, as, as we're kind of looking at this, scattered only. Yeah, there's only seven games listed that we can mm-hmm. find for 94, and what is it? Only one for 95. Grand spanking one game for 95, so yeah. uh, it would have been hard for both of us to pick our underrated favorite of 95, um, mm. so we could both pick Sunday Fun Day. But... Right. <laughs> Never played it. So yeah, we, we kind of just combined all all three years, and because I mean, e- even in 93, we're not talking a ton of games. I mean, Right. Less less than a hundred. Mm-hmm. So um but yeah, there's there's still some some stuff in here and things worth talking about. So I think we've got a good episode to mm-hmm. combine all this. So Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I don't know, we've we've kind of been running through the whole thing. If you've been following along from the beginning, it's 
it's been an interesting run. I think it's been very eye-opening for me to just kind of see like this whole thing in perspective. Um, they should kind of watch the arc of how games have kind of developed. And it was, it, it, it's pretty similar to another thing that my wife and I were talking about not that long ago where, you know, I have this weird thing with TV shows where when I was a kid, I had no concept of the fact that there were like seasons of a show okay. and you kind of just watched whatever episode was on. And sometimes it was new. Sometimes it was a rerun and it was okay. out so of order. TV. Yeah. Yeah. It was just this like scattershot of episodes. Sometimes, you know, Jesse was single and sometimes Jesse and Becky, <laughs> had, you know, two twins. Like, I don't know. It was just kind of a random thing. Yeah. And so the NES in a lot of ways was kind of similar to that for me. Like obviously with me getting my NES in 89, there was already a lot of catch up that I had to do mm. um, as I was kind of picking up games, you know, as, as we've said many times, there really wasn't a lot of, you know, hard and fast release dates. So, you know, nor was it the kind of thing where we had the internet or all this kind of hype leading up to a lot of games. So it was kind of just a randomly, you'd go to a store, go to the rental store and see there's new games on the shelf, but they might be old, just new to the store. So I, I never really kind of watched the arc, nor did I really kind of look at the trends or uh, patterns in game development. So this has really kind of been interesting to go through and kind of see where the peaks have been, where the valleys are, and just mm. the, the development roller coaster that was kind of the NES. And you can really kind of do an interesting study with this. So I, I've enjoyed this overall. Yeah, me too. Um, there's There's a lot of games that, again, that's, kind of the fun of the show of discovering games that you know we kind of haven't played before or talking about sort of uh underappreciated ones but um yeah like you said i agree i think it's been fun watching the watching the nes grow and then especially as we get into um sort of the the height of the 16-bit era where we're at 93 now and to see that you know occasionally there are still good 8-bit games that come out and kind of remind us that oh yeah this this was the little system that could you know, or here's what here's what we can still get out of the 8-bit system, you know, even though the 16-bit systems are well in full swing now and CD-ROM gaming is happening and stuff, you know, there's still some games released for the aging 8-bit console, and it, it's been fun to explore those. Now, the one thing that I will say, and this is just kind of my personal opinion, there's nothing that's really behind this that much, I feel like the NES really kind of peaked in you know 1991 Mm -hmm. um a lot of kind of what came out let's say 91 92 are games that i've always kind of called you know they're they're all like they're all show no content Mm. um there's a lot of games that are style over substance i guess is the best way to put it Mm. and there obviously we discovered a lot of hidden gems in there too um and i kind of expected to see that trend continue through you know 93 94 95 was that you would have a lot of games that you know a lot of style not really that much substance but you know would still play really solid and strong and i gotta say that from what i saw from most of these games there's with with the exception of some some real gems that are in here most of these games i did not I, i felt like it was a downgrade in quality um i don't know how to exactly say what i'm or mm-hmm. explain what I'm trying to say, but like there were several that I played where after you know about 20 minutes I kind of had to put it down and go to something else just because it's like 
I felt like the mechanics and the engine had taken a major step back and we were back to games that were just like sloppy and thrown together kind of quick, like kind of, they felt very cash in, in -hmm. a lot of ways and not all of them. I don't, I don't want to say that the whole series was that way or, you know, everything from these years, but there were just a lot of games that I would have expected for a, for a system that was this polished, you know, almost, Uh almost a decade in that these games should just be rock solid and I just felt like so many of them were just kind of shitty quality. Well, I would disagree with you slightly, but I see where you're coming from because I think it can probably be explained by um, the possibility that you have different development teams within the publishers that are working on different systems. So maybe the majority of your programming talent has gone to 16-bit games at this time, but yet the company still sees that there's, you know, millions of NESs is in the household still so maybe they still assign maybe a smaller team to make an nes game mm-hmm. you know say we still want to make a profit by you know selling to this customer base so uh, you know we're going to take the the smaller team and we're going to develop a game and yeah. maybe they didn't have as much experience with programming and, and it, it's very possible um the the three examples that i definitely came up with were all from 93 okay. but playing um cliffhanger <laughs> obviously uh, a cash in attempt oh my god and it's just it's bad like of course it is but, but, mean, but cliffhanger was was out on like every system and it was bad on every system we rented the sega cd one one time i remember my friends and i and it because it had this like awesome snowboarding level to it and the rest of the game was awful yeah and, and it, it's, it's bit, not but... just Okay, like it's a boring game or whatever. It's just yeah. again, it's it's the way I was trying to trying to describe it. Like, yeah, it was talking, okay. I see where you're talking about there. Cliffhanger, I think, is a perfect example of like just a massive marketing push with no respect for quality. Right. You know, um, the a second example from or that falls into this category was Cool World. Yeah, another which, licensed game. You can see that uh, again. Yes, it's a licensed title. Uh-huh. Um, but one that, like, as I'm playing it, it just, it's so clunky, the mechanics. Like, right. you're falling off of platforms, you are trying to hit enemies, and you can't quite do it. The, the controls are just atrocious. Right. It was just kind of, I don't know, it, it had the quality that I would have expected from a game made in, you know, 86, 87 maybe, but not yeah. by the time we're to 93. Yeah. Um, and then the last one, which I actually had really high hopes for based on everything that I had seen and advertised with it, uh, was Zen Intergalactic Ninja, uh-huh. um, which is one that, I mean, the story sounded pretty hokey. It's basically a space ninja slash Captain Planet ripoff. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're an alien ninja come down to Earth to basically save the planet from pollution and smog and... sure global warming and all of these other things it's bizarre in terms of its story it's, it's um, sort of that the the 90s um you know like you said 90s captain planet sort of era absolutely yeah. um and because That's it's a product of its time and because it's the 90s it has to have a ninja in there so hey this is gonna sell like crazy right uh-huh. um man it's bad like it's it's got potential and i think if you spent a lot of time with it you could actually really love it but we're talking brutally difficult mm-hmm. and not in like a, a 
patterned difficulty that you can kind of learn over time, like Ninja Gaiden or something. Mm-hmm. This is more like Iron Sword Wizards and Warriors 2 difficult, where the controls are bad and there's just random shit flying at you from everywhere. And next thing huh. you know, you're dead. Um, okay. But yeah, I don't know. There's there's just so much here that I was kind of playing through. And I mean, obviously there's all the wisdom tree games. I don't have any high hopes for those, but right. Yeah. I don't know. I was just overall very disappointed with kind of what 93 had to offer. Yeah. But on the other hand, I think there's some, some really good games in this year. Um, just maybe not 10 out of 10 games, but ones that might be like a solid seven out of 10. Um, well, I, I enjoyed. And I'm trying to find, you know, as I'm talking through this, I think I have to throw out the caveat that we're excluding the the ones that are obviously favorites um, yeah. because the whole the whole premise of this is to find the hidden gems. So like yes, Battletoads Double Dragon is an amazing game. Right, um, right. You know, Mega Man Six is in here. That's an unbelievably solid game. Ducktales Two. Um, mm. So there, there's lots of really good stuff. And if we sure. you know, continue on through to ninety four. Um, yeah, Zoda's Revenge is a great game. Um, Wario Wood, if you're in the, for the puzzle stuff. So there's, it's it's not that everything here is crap. It's that you know finding a hidden gem is kind of difficult because there really weren't that many. Is yeah, I no, I would say though, just some of the ones that I enjoyed. I think that there's more here that you know than what we're thinking though. But like, um, and some of them we're seeing their ports of games that are on 16-bit systems too. Like you said, Battletoads, Double Dragon. Yep. was also on Super NES and Genesis. But there's right. something about the way the 8-bit version plays. I think it's outside of the Genesis one, that one's probably my favorite because it kind of plays like the earlier games and it has a similar style. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like Batman Returns. I thought that was a pretty good beat-em-up. Uh, yeah. It's tough. It's really tough. And I think that's the other thing with as we're getting into this year, we're seeing a lot more difficult games. But... Um, Bomberman 2 is a classic, if you like Bomberman games. Um, one that I was kind of surprised that, that wasn't too bad was Bonk's Adventure. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking, in 93, that was kind of a surprise to me, and sort of a, a sign that the TurboGrafx was on its way out. Because I remember, you know, like, seeing ads for the Turbo a year or two before that, thinking, oh, this would be really cool, like, I would love to own one, but you know, there's no place I can rent games from and I wouldn't have very many games. And so seeing like the mascot game for the turbo on the NES was like, well, that's kind of weird. It's kind of sad a little bit in a way, but it's not a bad game. Um, you know, as far as if you like the bonk series, it's, um, it's pretty enjoyable. It's not quite as good as the turbo one, obviously, but I thought it was a solid attempt. Uh, level level two is pretty good. Um, a lot of these, unfortunately, cartridge-wise, are super expensive now. Yes, they are. Which is too bad. But, uh, you know, it's 2018. There's plenty of other ways to play um, these kind of games, too. So I will also say that it was a completely unexpected game for me, but Alfred Chicken I had a good time with. Yeah, that's kind of fun, isn't it? Isn't it? Is. <laughs> yeah, I like that one. I liked um, Joe and Mac. I thought that was a, a pretty decent 8-bit conversion of a 16-bit arcade game yeah uh, you know because that that's the arcade version i think is caveman ninja um but then yeah it's joe mac or whatever um it's not it doesn't have the two-player simultaneous like the other games have but uh i thought it was good i mean it's got decent graphics and stuff obviously um it kind of goes without saying but kirby's adventure i think is kind of the standout game sure sure 93 
Um, you know, a lot of people play that. I didn't play that for the first time until like 2013. Um, I really enjoyed it. First time yeah, it's very, very good. Like, I think it still holds up. Uh, a lot of people talk about Mighty Final Fight. Um, I know that's a super expensive game, but I love beat em ups, but I found that one kind of boring, honestly. Um, it's different and it's it's kind of funny just for what it is. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm not knocking the, the graphics and everything. I'm talking more like on a technical level because there's only ever like what one or two enemies on screen at the same time. Right. So it's kind of like it gets kind of boring, I think. Um, you know, I appreciate what they were trying to do though. Um, I just don't, I think that one's a little overrated, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, Star Trek The Next Gen, I think that one was, I think I rented that one once because I, I was pretty into the um, Super NES one. Um, that one's okay. I also picked up Hillsfire when I was a kid for. Okay. For yeah. I never. Next to nothing. Um, of all of the D&D licensed NES games, like I think that might be the best. Really? Um, okay. It's, it's different. And huh. I'll, I'll fully admit that there's kind of a learning curve with it. You've, you've really got to you know, devote some time to figuring out how it works. Mm-hmm. But this was like the first game I ever played, you know, and now all the Elder Scrolls games have used this too, but where you actually have lock picks and you have to, you know, pick locks if you want to be a thief or anything like that. But uh, it's a, yeah, it's a pretty in-depth RPG uh, that okay. just has a pretty steep learning curve to it. But uh, yeah, that would be a recommend, I would say. Okay, that's cool. I like um, Eye of the Beholder. I've yeah. been playing Sega CD one of that recently. Um, I feel like that has a real old school D&D feel to it, obviously, um, given the time frame. But that's more of a dungeon crawl, though, like a hardcore dungeon crawl, I would say. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, there's there's definitely some stuff here. I didn't want to come off as just like a complete right, right. curmudgeon. Um, but... Well, you are, but that's besides... <laughs> I didn't want to come off that way. I mean, I know I am. I just don't... Right. <laughs> I have I have my rep I want to keep up. I guess. Yeah, this is not internet me. Yeah, right. <laughs> I let real me slip in there for a minute. Um, but no, I, I, you know, we're obviously able to pick out some some good hidden gems that we're gonna you mm-hmm. know, spend the rest of the episode here talking about. So uh, I don't know. I would say if you want to go first, uh, let's let's jump into your pick. Sure. Uh, yeah. So my pick actually is from '94, and. Um, I, I think there's probably a few more people that have played this than um, than you'd be surprised. I mean, um, it's obviously uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Tournament Fighters is sort of my pick for like a, a hidden gem a little bit. It's not really hidden, I guess, but... Um, I think it is in the sense that, I mean, people are very familiar with you know the 16-bit versions of it. Yeah. But I, I didn't learn about the NES version until just a couple years ago, I think. Okay. So I remember seeing the uh, the ads for it all the time because you know again '93 we're in the peak of the 2D fighting game boom which I love 2D fighters um, so I mean I'm all about these kind of games so I can remember when you'd see like the ads for it like it would say you know coming out on Super NES Genesis and Nintendo Entertainment System you think wow there's you know versions for every different one so um, I owned a copy of this. Um, I just recently traded it, but I've had it, I think, probably about 10 years or so ago. I picked it up at Game Crazy when they were still around. And it was oh, cheap. I miss them. I know. I miss them, too. They used to have cheap games all the time. But, uh, yeah, there's something about a 
having a 2D fighter on the NES, um, it's kind of rare to have like decent ones. And I think this one is is pretty good. It's tough and it's kind of weird. Like the special moves are kind of hard to figure out a little bit, but there's just something about the way it plays. Like the the hits feel really solid. There's a decent amount of action going on. And for the NES, I think it's got good graphics and good music. It's really pushing the hardware to the limits, what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the soundtrack to this. I mean, as far as that, that Konami sound that we're always talking about, um, I feel like this is another example of it. It's got really good, just, it's got that kicking Konami beat, you know. Um, but yeah, compared to the other versions, um, it's, it's interesting with tournament fighters because every different version plays slightly differently because they had three different development teams that did each of them for the Genesis and the Super NES and the NES one. Um, so you get kind of this sampler platter, I guess, of tournament fighter games. But there's something about the NES one. I think that's probably my favorite one. Um, it just the way it plays and the way it's trying to it's trying to be a bigger game than it can be on the system. But I appreciate what they were going for. So I would say if you like 2D fighters, um, give this one a try. It's not like super smooth or anything, but I think it's kind of fun. Yeah, it's it's incredibly interesting. Just because, like you said, there aren't that many if any other 2d fighters on the nes yeah there's one on the famicom that we never got called joy mech fight which is a uh a 2d fighter with like characters made out of like uh shapes like circles and squares and stuff like that so each piece animates individually and stuff like that uh, yeah. but yeah I, that was never released here but yeah but yeah so, be, so this I, is i don't know if you'd count like the versus modes in like double dragon or Eh, I mean, kind of, but, you know, just a, and even this isn't a standalone fighter, like that's just, you know, there's story mode or there's two-player versus mode. Um, This could just be maybe like another of the small section of 2D fighters on the NES. Yeah, Uh, but it's, you're right, as you were saying, like it just kind of plays differently. Mm -hmm. Um, The moves are very difficult to to figure out uh i was also i didn't have an instruction manual as i was playing through this so i was just kind of trying the standard moves and it's like you know no matter what game i play i try a hadouken and usually it'll do something and (laughs) the standard uh mechanics but um yeah the just to have like the the i don't know like because like even like street fighter 2 for super nintendo genesis and all that like it's a 2d game Mm-hmm. But the graphics are shaded well enough that it gives like a three-dimensional feel. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this plays very different because they don't have that technology. It's very flat two-dimensional mm-hmm. sprites. Yeah. Um, and I always thought that the two-dimensional like NES sprites of the Turtles looked bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's different from the the original Ninja Turtles NES game, but when you start getting into turtles 2 the arcade game and um what was manhattan project was that the third one three yeah um this game looks exactly like that like it's that Mm -hmm. kind of they're they're facing forward but kind of half cocked to the side and just it's weird Um, i would say probably because they already had that stuff drawn so it was probably cheaper and took less time to just take those that sprite work and apply it to this game and make minor improvements yeah, and so that's when it's it's weird to see them. Yeah, they're then. kind of standing that way, you know, yep. that weird TMNT two style, I guess. And they animate strangely. Then you mm-hmm. know when they 
suddenly do like a roundhouse kick it's like it just it looks almost like south parky like you know yeah gotta... yeah there's like two frames of animation and then it like holds in that position for a second yeah um yeah i don't know it's almost like it's um frame by frame a little bit or comic book style i guess mm-hmm. i don't know Try and to... it works it's, it's, a, it's yeah. a charm that i liked it wasn't you know n- none of what we're saying should be said you know should come across as like a criticism it's 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 a fun charm to see this kind of pixelated very archaic fighter um still with characters that you love though and yeah it it works yeah and i would say too that even sort of the absence of special moves gives it more of a meta game in a way that it's like okay you're working with in a limited skill set so you know you have some punches you have a jump kick you have a slide kick maybe um and like playing against a computer or somebody else and it becomes this uh what I like about fighting games, it, it becomes this sort of mind game as to, you know, my, can I draw them into a trap where I jump kick them? Can I draw them into this? And, you know, you kind of push back and forth and within your limited skill set, but it becomes very rewarding because you can kind of master those moves, if that makes sense. Right, right. Yeah, which is, uh, I'll fully admit, fighting games was never my strong suit. Um, mm. I can do okay in an arcade mm. or one player but if you put me up against anybody who actually knows what they're doing i'll lose every time okay (laughs) that was what i like cut my teeth on like at aladdin's castle stuff like that was just you know playing competitive fighters and like getting good at them and learning characters and stuff like that i i still play i don't play a lot of modern fighters but i still play a lot of the classic stuff because i i still enjoy that stuff yeah i never had the patience to really learn well, the patients or the quarters to really learn a character's moves yeah. backwards and forwards. Yeah. Um, which is, I think, why I usually defaulted to like Ken and Ryu because yeah. they were pretty easy. But anybody else, I was kind of like, yeah, I could do a couple of them and that's it. Mm-hmm. I think there were like three fatalities in Mortal Kombat I was ever, ever able to actually pull off. Oh, we were all about it, like buying the strategy guide. And I remember. Um... Oh, I had them all memorized. I just couldn't do them. Oh. <laughs> I remember we'd make up like fake fatalities and, you know, try to like sell them to kids and stuff at the arcade. Be like, you know, here's, a, here's a piece of paper where I wrote these supposed fatalities. You know, I'll, I'll sell it to you for like two tokens, you know, and then he'd be trying it. It doesn't work. You're an ass. <laughs> oh, yeah, we totally were. It was great. Like, we were just totally, <laughs> like, oh, man, you can see like reptiles, like crazy acid head rip and like you just make up some shit and you just put some directions on there and then you know he'd, he would try and be like oh i can't get it to work and I'm like, well you must not be doing it at the right distance i don't know what to tell you thanks for the tokens <laughs> i'm gonna go play I'm be my pizza over here <laughs> yeah so i don't know it's fun <laughs> uh yeah so I, I i would agree with your pick here i i had as- absolutely no idea where you were going to go with um your underrated pick from this it was kind of tough. But... I mean, there there were some other ones. I um, you know, I was almost going to do Bonk. And I was almost going to do um, a couple other ones, but I don't know. I think this is a good fit for an underrated game. Yeah, and and it, it's definitely a a good pick because, like like I was saying, people know the title, but mm-hmm. they probably for the most part are not that familiar with this version. And yeah, I would I, think... I would agree. I think it's worth it checking out. out. People weren't paying attention to the system. Right. So Yeah. Don't write it off as, oh, it's probably a crappier version of the game that I like. Like right. it's 
it's worth trying. Go play it. Yeah, especially from a collector standpoint now. I mean, I think we all kind of learned our lesson with this system because, uh, you know, as we're seeing now, if you look at the secondary market and prices have come down a little bit, but I mean, there's a lot of expensive games in the last couple of years because either small print runs or, you know, nobody was paying attention. They were clearancing them out cheap. Nobody bought them. I don't know. But, oh God. Yeah. I mean, you know, how, how much did you get off of this when you sold it? Cause that was pretty recently, wasn't it? Uh, I ended up trading it. Um, I traded it for like, even up for a, um, PC Engine copy of Dracula X, Rondo of Blood. Oh, that's right. That's so, right. Because I always, I've always wanted a copy of that game, even though you can get it digitally. I, I wanted the physical copy and and playing it on the PVM, and it's such a better feel. So, yeah, yeah totally worth it though. Yeah, the price of these, you know, last couple of years or games from these last couple of years is no joke. Um, yeah, I this think I told really if you follow us on funny. social, follow us on social media, you can see that. I've got a friend here in town who just um, he owns a record store and got a huge collection of really old stuff, all boxed and or at least with manuals. And yeah, it was cool. That was really. He cool. got a copy of Bubble Bobble Two with the instruction book, and that plus his complete in box copy of Mega Man Seven sold, and he made seven hundred dollars off of the, those two uh-huh. games alone. Oh yeah. So. Yep. Yeah, it's no joke. So. Alrighty. Well, um, anything else to talk about with Turtles or? I don't think so. I would I would say um, check it out if you haven't uh, if you haven't played it. Obviously, um, your only two avenues really are going to be um, a physical cart or you know other gray areas. But uh, you know, unfortunately, due to licensing, I don't think you'll ever see this as a re-release. I don't know. It's just not as popular. But no, you know, it's 2018. There's tons of ways to play NES games. So um, however you typically play your NES games, you know, check it out. It's fun. Right. Okay. So my game for this week, I, I went back and forth with a couple of different ideas, and at one point was um, I don't know, I, I just I just went all over the place, but I ended up settling on one that was a, a brand new pick. I had never actually played this before. I was kind of doing some prep for the show. Okay. And I'm I'm glad I kind of ran through some of these because I was kind of just going through them alphabetically, and um, some of them I you know gave a good twenty minutes to some. A little bit longer, but I stumbled on this one, and as soon as it started up, I was like, "Oh, I know this is going to be good," and uh-huh. um, I was right, and yeah. <laughs> devoted most of my afternoon to it. But um, my pick is Fire and Ice, nice. which, yeah, like I said, 1993, uh, developed by uh, Tecmo. And the fun thing was, I had no idea that this is the sequel to Solomon's Key. I know, right? They don't even tell you at all, like. At nope. Least in the American version, you don't even know. Like the Japanese version, I think is actually called Solomon's Key Two. Uh, yes, and Europe, um, yeah. Solomon's Key Two. Um, but yeah, when you look at the cover of this, I mean, it just says Fire and Ice. It, it looks like a, I don't know, like a Ben Gay package <laughs> or something. Bit, yeah. Um, like there's the Walgreens some, brand or something. Yeah. There's some ice cubes. There's some flames, and then there's a big sticker that says "Warning: This cartridge contains logic puzzles that may be highly addictive. Caution yeah, yeah. and restraint are recommended." That's the game. So right. there's no indication here whatsoever that this is related to the Solomon's Key franchise. No, this is the one of the laziest examples of of box art that I've seen on the system. It doesn't I, tell you anything about it. You know, no. it doesn't play to the previous audience that played Solomon's Key. And then there's this giant sticker in the middle of it, too. 
It just says highly addictive. It looks like a, a warning label, which it well, is. Well, and it's it's but like, by Tecmo. Boy. Um, but the fact that it's by Tecmo, like I'm very surprised because they yeah. were much better than this. Um, but yeah, I, and like I have seen this cart so many times, you know, at rental stores and wherever else, mm -hmm. and always passed it over because it looked like uh, another one I rented a lot. It was Thunder and Lightning. Hmm. You ever played that, or do you ever, are you aware of it? No, I, I think that's what it is. I might be getting the title wrong, but uh, if I remember that right, it's kind of like an Arkanoid-ish hmm. um, puzzle game of some sort. I, I'm having vague memories right now, but um, I have to look that up. Hmm. Yeah, so that's kind of what I always assumed it was. It's like, oh, it's one of these late entry, just kind of knock off weird things. And so, yeah, I fire it up this week and see that there's like this grandma talking to two little kids telling stories. They're all dressed like little elves. And it's like, I'm going to tell you the story. And okay, this is weird. Mm. And then you start playing. It's like, wait a minute, <laughs> that, that character looks familiar. And then yeah, um, the mechanics are similar to Solomon's key, but not quite exact or Solomon's club for game boy too. Mm. Um, but like, and I don't want to make this about, you know, Solomon's Key, but like that's a game that I'm very familiar with and I like it mm -hmm. or, or I should say I want to like it, but oh. I, I struggle with it yeah. because, you know, my I love platformers. They're my favorite mm -hmm. franchise or my favorite uh, genre of game. And I love puzzle games. And Solomon's Key is a blend of the two. Yeah. Um, you're, you know, complete, competing these puzzles trying to get through the stage while enemies are kind of coming at you and you're having to dodge and you know, whatever and that blending has just always been kind of frustrating for me in that game because i'm working on my strategy and all of a sudden here comes an enemy that i wasn't prepared for and it's just like it's like i i wanted to focus on one or the other i don't know somehow that game just didn't quite work perfectly for me mm. whereas here with fire and ice they get rid of that action element completely and it's just a puzzle game. Mm. Um, so basically, the way it works, if anybody's familiar with the Solomon franchise at all, you uh, oh, it's a very simple game in terms of the mechanics. Um, the A and B button do the exact same thing, and that is you activate your, this wand that you're carrying that it'll basically either create or destroy an ice block, um, but only like you can't control where it goes. It's only going to affect the the block that would be kind of on the floor directly in front of you. So yeah, diagonally, if, I guess. Right. Di diagonal lower, I guess. So if you come up to a pit, you can stand on the edge of the pit, hit the button, and it'll put an ice block, you know, in the pit so you can walk over it. Or vice versa, you could hit the button to get rid of an ice block that's on the floor in front of you so you could jump down a level. Um, and it's it's kind of a game of using this to make platforms to get up to different areas because you can jump you know, one block high. Um, and then in each stage, there's a series of little flames that you just have to extinguish either by creating an ice block and pushing it into the flame or manipulating ice so that it falls on a flame. Um, it's pretty much your only two options, but the flames aren't moving. So everything's kind of static. There's a couple of stages where the whole, uh, you know, room itself is kind of sinking, so it's it's kind of a time limit. But other than that, it's not an action game. You've got as much yeah, time as you need. Kind of to kind of... Rooms, I guess, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, 
So you have the time that you need to figure out the puzzle. Mm. And that works much better for me. I, I enjoy that immensely. Um, it's kind of fun that there's, you know, rather than just saying like, here's a hundred random stages go, um, they kind of break it up, uh, into like little worlds. So mm-hmm. each world has like 10 stages. And then at the end, there's a, a boss labyrinth, which is what we just described where it's the same as the other rooms. It's just a time limit. Yeah. Um, and if I counted right, I think there's nine worlds. So that makes like what? 90 levels plus nine labyrinths there might be a boss mm-hmm. at the end of the whole thing i didn't play through it but uh, around 100 stages yeah there's um, a lot to it yeah and it is and the the learning curve is great because those like that first world those 10 stages there if you have you know a moderate amount of skill with puzzle games you you could play through that first world in probably 20 minutes right um, and then the skill and difficulty really starts to ramp up and uh it, it it picks up pretty quickly to where you're going to be spending some time on these, and I, I like that you can save your game, come back to it, you know, spend spend an hour playing just a couple of levels and feel satisfied, and put it down and come back oh, later. This is this is a perfect pick up and play, uh, right? That you can kind of get to a little bit, and I like how in the different worlds, um, you know, some of the elements change a little bit as far as you know your your basic goal is the same, but there's some added hazards or some added um designs that uh are pretty cool you know so i i occasionally play games like this i like puzzle games i'm not super great at them but uh uh, i do like playing them so yeah yeah and i think this is a good this is a game that did a good job of maximizing what 93 nes was capable of yeah it's got good animation it's got good color Yep, it looks and sounds really, really good mm-hmm. um, without being over the top or annoying. Um, it's not bells and whistles just for the sake of bells and whistles, um, because it, so many of these games too, you know, you you get to the point where by this point in the NES, it's like, well, we know how to do this and this and this and this mechanic, so let's just throw everything in there. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of refreshing to play a game like this. That's this that's this pretty. Mm-hmm. but still only has one button right yeah yeah and it's it's nice too because i think um i didn't really think of this before but um this reminds me a lot of a game boy game and it would make sense that around the same time you have you know the game boy is still in full swing and i would say one of the game boy's most popular genres was the single screen puzzle game so in a way this probably could have reached out to people that maybe played puzzle games on the Game Boy say, you know, here's a similar game. So I don't know how, I haven't played Solomon's Club on Game Boy, so I don't know if that's more of a remake of the first one, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know much about Solomon's Club. It's actually on my wish list of Game Boy games that I'm wanting to pick up, but okay, I don't know much about it either. Yeah, not sure. Um, yeah, it's cool. I, I dig this game. Um, I never played it as growing up or anything. I, I don't really remember seeing it. But uh, I know just from the last, you know, few years of collecting and stuff that I know this is a super high dollar game. Right, right. Yeah, which is, which is odd because, you know, it's, it's purely based on the fact that it's such a late release because I don't feel like I've ever heard anybody talk about this or even. Yeah, well, and I don't think say it's the title out loud it's been released on uh, a virtual console. I don't think. No, definitely not. So. Yeah, and that's odd too because Solomon's Key is one of the first ones to get released every system. You know, yeah, yeah. I think don't they? Isn't Solomon's Key on uh, NES Online now? 
yeah, I think it's already there. It's Part of definitely that. on the 3DS and on the Wii and mm-hmm. Wii U. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's good. I like this one a lot. So I'm I'm glad you picked this one. Yeah, and and I think this is exactly what we were trying to go with with um, this whole project is just mm-hmm. let's discover new games and yeah I, I was thrilled to um find something that i expected nothing out of and it's like wow here's something that i absolutely loved and think it's great and um it's fun to discover a game that's brand new to me even though in reality it's what 20 some years old yeah but that's again that's why we like retro gaming though too is you know you, you're experiencing new things on a system that you love and you know you're discovering new games so you know the more that i i still play some modern games but um the more that we get into the show and that we're playing stuff it's like i always find i would rather rediscover you know retro games that i haven't played or stuff like that as opposed to playing newer stuff right definitely uh yeah so that's cool i think that and that's what's great about all these 8 and 16-bit systems is there's so many games that I haven't played yet that, you know, for years to come, you could still be enjoying them, you know, like a, like a fine wine almost, you know? Well, and what is it? What's the NES library at something in, in the eight hundreds? Yeah, I think so. So you got plenty to go. Yeah. And that's not even including the Japanese releases either, you know, sure. Sure. More and more stuff gets fan translated. Right. Well, yeah. People have access to, that too with you know, whether through emulation or sure. ebay and amazon you know being basically international yeah so now, that's yeah, one of the small things too though that i mean especially for the in the even the early 2000s when that whole big fan translation movement started with um you know i was just reading an article the other day i think about nesticle the nes emulator one of the first ones and how it kind of kicked off that retro boom in the early 2000s and i can totally remember that you know, it's like, oh, my God, I can play NES games on my computer, you know, um, which was not entirely legal, of course, but also led to a lot of people discovering and reverse engineering games to kind of decide, oh, wow, we can change the text in here, meaning we could translate games that never came over here, you know, and, and play them in English. And it's like, what a cool idea, you know, so I'm, I'm still glad to see different stuff pop up because then you get to try new things like you know it's like a what if you know what if this game actually got released so that's cool yep i would agree and no no surprise here that you know the retro is where i want to be playing games so all righty well i um we got a few more minutes here before we announce what we're going to be doing and you know the future but um i don't know do you have any kind of final thoughts as your wrap up for this NES Odyssey, we've been doing this, what, now, 11 weeks, something like that? I lost track, but mm-hmm. 11 episodes, yeah, that is, time. 10 episodes, something. But um, Yeah, I, I think it's been a lot of fun. I'm ready to move on from the NES, but, uh, um, you know, maybe just take a break from the system for a little while. But I've enjoyed going through, you know, the, the life of the system and uh, you know, sticking around and trying some new things and uh, seeing how the system has grown. So. Um, it's been fun. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said at the beginning, I think that, you know, it, it opened my eyes to things where, you know, I always knew that the the first year or two was definitely the arcade years where they were trying to just bring arcade games to the home. And then by 86 or by uh, like 87 and 88, for sure, they had kind of established, no, we're going to make our own things and kind of created some 
very good standalone franchises that were independent of arcades and that just kind of developed and you know you had the obvious nintendo mania that was hitting through late 80s early 90s and then uh it, it kind of peaked and we we saw the years that i love that we dubbed the uh the rental shelf years mm-hmm. and um yeah then you know there's obviously some of these stragglers that are still sticking around through what is obviously the 16-bit era and things when most of the world had moved on but still got some some great games kicking around in here mm-hmm. yep. so, been, been very interesting and eye-opening just to kind of see the development of it all and where it goes and I, I think we found some great games that we didn't know about and hopefully some of our listeners are going to go check out a couple of our recommendations. Yeah, for sure. And that's not to say that we won't be revisiting some of these games in future episodes. I mean, uh, there, there are definitely them. some that we decided not to cover yeah. in this because we want to give them a full episode somewhere down the yeah. road. So. So we'll, we'll come back to the system. But, uh, oh, for sure. It's it's my favorite system hands down. So there's no way that this is okay. There's no no way this is the end. I'm I you know that's a hard question. I'm not really sure uh, if I were to ask myself. I don't know what my top system would be. I mean the NES is up there, but I wouldn't. I don't know if it's my all time favorite. It's hard to say. Well, we got many many episodes left to go to uh, answer that question. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I just I I don't know. I I like a lot of eight 16 bit systems pretty equally and some of them that i'm starting to discover you know dig more into the libraries of uh you know systems like the genesis and the pc engine that um you know finding a lot of stuff that i never played before so i'm enjoying those too so i don't know it's hard to say yeah so yeah as wes kind of said we're gonna take a break from all of this and um we'll be back in two weeks with kind of back to our standard fare of um alternating back and forth picking games and mm-hmm. um Mm-hmm. We'll be this all over pick, right? The one that's coming up. Uh, yeah, I kind of defaulted to that. I was trying to think of something that would fit the theme of the season, and it's it's a tangent, but it's there. Yeah. Um, so stay tuned, and we'll we'll kind of be back every other week and bouncing all over from Sega Master System to Genesis to Neo Geo and back mm-hmm. to the Nintendo systems. And we'll... yeah, yeah, we'll be all over, and uh, maybe I'd like to kind of talk about maybe even throw in a couple arcade releases um uh that are on like the switch and stuff like that we might try to maybe bridge the gap a little bit because those are kind of retro games too definitely ones so um, and i i think the most important thing is i definitely want to get back to some listener requests so Mm -hmm. if there's now that we're done with our kind of prescribed episodes here if there if there's anything you're dying to hear us talk about or just a game that you want some more attention focused on let us know and uh we'll definitely be sure to give that some love and um wes if anybody had suggestions where would they get those we still have a couple of listener requests that we will get to uh the ones we got from quite some time ago yeah nothing's been forgotten yeah so i would say you know if you're listening and you submitted a request uh i promise that we haven't forgotten um you know, just going to try to get to those when we can. So, but yeah, um, you're going to say uh, where you can find us. There's a couple of different places there. I'll just kind of segue into that if that's where you were going. Uh, <laughs> I was trying, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, obviously, we've got our uh, Facebook group. We're out there, um, Facebook Graveyard Duck Podcast. Uh, we're kind of on Twitter occasionally, not very much, but uh, at Duck Graveyard. And you can find us there. We're on Instagram. You know, graveyard duck, obviously. Um, 
Yeah. And uh, I think where else that we're at? Got a Discord group. Yeah, there's the Discord group. Uh, we've got some good conversations and stuff going on there. Um, I'm on a couple of different message boards um, as Graveyard Duck. Um, just kind of spreading our info out there a little bit more. So um, I'm on um, stuff like retro game boards and Nintendo Age, stuff like that. So um, you can usually find me there in some of those communities. Uh, but yeah, we're out there. Um, Graveyard Duck Podcast at gmail.com. You can also choose the email if you um, have a suggestion or, you know, any feedback. And uh, of course, if you like the show, you know, please leave us some feedback on iTunes. That would definitely help and kind of push us. Um, you know, we like doing the show and like talking about random retro games and hope that you enjoy it too. So. Alrighty. Well, I think that wraps up a um, pretty long and exhausting look at a system. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm ready to wrap up and uh, I need a nap. I think uh, I'm going to fire up the Genesis here and uh, jump into some 16-bit gaming, which will hopefully tie into next episode. So stay tuned. <laughs> Was that a hint? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Yeah. We're going to go. I'll give you another hint. We're going to go uh, pretty 90s on you. I would say that the next game that we talk about is is really an example of the 90s, um, both design-wise and style-wise. So. I would say the game is almost out of this world, even. It could be, yeah. All right. Well, until we get talking about it's not the actual game out of this world. Uh, (laughs) That'll be, you know, much later down the road. We'll talk about that game. But all right. Well, until that point, I'm Scott and I'm Wes. And uh, if I can just give you a last piece of advice, I would say be careful not to put a flame on top of Dana. I think those are wise words. No matter uh, if you're playing Fire and Ice or in in your life, if you know somebody named Dana, do not put a flame on top of her. Game over.